Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1295 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast. Make sure your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube on the video side, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is actually part two of two with Andrew Kelly at Peachtree Hoops. So if you missed part one, I promise you that it's in your feed right now. So go back and listen to that in chronological order. It's probably better for you that way. Although if you want to, it doesn't matter which order you listen to, but alas, that's probably the best way I do it part one first then part two but here we are with andrew kelly on this episode you're about to listen to we talk about deandre hunter extensively extension talks for the most part what he should get what he might get whether the hawks should be agreeing to a deal with him at this point in time whether he'll play better this year etc etc all of that stuff and more And at the end of the podcast andrew and i give some thoughts about where the hawks stack up in the east right now as well so please stay tuned for all of that again part one available right now as well please subscribe to the show and after you'll hear the intro it's myself and andrew kelly with part two of two on the atlanta hawks you are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Andrew, we've arrived at uh, the place where I have to ask you about DeAndre Hunter, and uh, I asked you to come on this podcast in, in August to, in part, discuss Hunter and his extension stuff. I don't want to litigate the entire Hunter thing. Uh, I've been, uh, I guess, accused of being super low on him. I'm really not super low on him, um, but it's one of those things where uh, pointing out that he struggled last year is uh, controversial, I guess, but he really was particularly good. Uh, I think the numbers bear that out. It's not the most uh, aggressive take I've ever had in my life. But um, really, I want to focus on the extension talks because they are, as we're recording this, I assume still ongoing. Uh, usually, um, there is sort of a flurry of extensions that get done in early July, and then there's kind of a quiet period, and then they kind of ramp up again in October. Um, occasionally, you'll see a deal in August, September, but a lot of the times you kind of have to wait till um, the closest, the closer the season starts. As a reminder, Hunter can extend with the Hawks any day up until there's a, a deadline in mid-October, and then after that, he can't extend. He, he, obviously, they would be able to re-sign him um, as a restricted free agent next summer, et cetera, but um, there's lots of talks here, and before I ask you kind of where you are generally, and we'll dive in a little bit here, um, the only reporting that's been out there the last few weeks was a report from Jake Fisher, who said that, uh, I'm going to quote here now from Jake, early indications are that the Hawks and Hunter have not found much progress in extension talks with both sides standing, standing roughly $20 million apart on salary terms over a four-year deal, according to sources. So, Andrew, you've heard the same things that I have. We've had the same conversations a lot about this. Um, where do you stand sort of broadly on the prospect of signing Hunter to a deal now versus maybe waiting until next summer? I just can't see it. I mean, he hasn't been consistent enough uh, to really invest the money that he's looking for. And when you look at it from both sides, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense for either side to, to, to give up something. Um, so if they were to come to a deal before the season, I would expect that, that that would be Hunter's side that's basically compromising a bit in order to lock in that that security. Um, because for him, I mean, he's not a super young player. I mean, this is his age 25 season. Um, so when you look at his next deal, like that's his his you know peak prime. Um, yeah. So for a player his age, he has to really extract top value for that deal. Like it's it's very important for him to make that to maximize that contract and get as much as he possibly can. So he's not really incentivized to give up uh, the upside that could come with like a big fourth year and the contract that that would entail. Um, so I, I don't really think that he's likely to, to, to sacrifice there. I mean, and then from the Hawks side, I mean, he just hasn't been consistent enough to pay him. Like it's, it's as simple as that. 
He didn't have a good uh, season last year. He's had the injuries. When you look at Kevin Herter, I mean, Kevin Herter has, was certainly better than him over the first three years of his rookie deal than uh, Hunter was. Um, so you could feel better about ex- extending Herter, especially on the, the amount that he took versus, versus Herter versus Hunter, I, I should say. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Hawks to, to really give him what he's looking for. I, I think he's seeking something like 20, close to about 20 million per year or something like that. But this is also a position where guys get paid. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a good starter if you're six foot seven and 225 pounds um, to get paid a lot. You know, we, we've seen guys get paid before they're even good because they play that position. Um, so that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, if he does have a good season, um, just, you know, think about it. You know, he's probably due for some injury luck to bounce his way. Um, if he's a little bit more consistent overall, if he's more efficient overall, if these aren't, you know, huge ask of him, like these are things that could realistically happen, he could be in line for a pretty big contract. Um, so that's all on the table there for him. So I just can't see him giving up what I think he would for the Hawks to secure him on an extension. Yeah, I do think, and there's there's so many things to get into here. I do think that we're on the same page. I'm expecting, if I had to project, Hunter to have the best year of his career in year four so far. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a fairly low bar to be honest. You know, obviously his second season he had, he has really good numbers, but there was a, a very very small sample size. Then he got hurt, uh, and then last year um, we've talked about it ad nauseum. But like he shot the three well, but the rest of his peripheral stats were not fantastic. He had really really ugly metrics overall. And like he played more, which is nice, but even then he still missed almost 30 games, and it wasn't like he was always on the floor. I think it's gonna be, I think he'll be better. I think he'll be on the floor more often, and that will help him, which certainly incentivizes the player to maybe hold off for a little bit more. You talked about the anchoring too. Like on one hand, these these like three and D role player types don't often get like max level deals. Like we've seen a little bit more money from like the likes of Mike McHale Bridges in recent years. OG got a pretty team friendly contract, although it was pretty short. But to your point, also. They do get paid pretty well. And also, this shouldn't matter necessarily, but it absolutely does in the history of the league. I've looked at this a lot. I know you have as well. Being a former top five pick who has pedigree of a former top five pick and has the measurables that he has, that is going to help him on the market. In fact, I'm I'm sure you've had this conversation as well. There are people around the league that, quite frankly, are overrating DeAndre Hunter and what he's done so far. Because of, because of that. And because, you know, we, we make the joke all the time about this, but like people don't watch the Hawks like you and I watch the Hawks on a regular basis. Um, yeah. even, national, even national people, they might, they might see the Hawks 10 times a year, 12 times a year. We're seeing 82 of those things. And I think that maybe that makes us a little bit more nitpicky on the one hand, but also it's an archetype thing. People assume that Hunter has proven to be the player that he could be. Whereas like, he's not quite proven that. Like we all agree on what he could be. It could be a really, really, really valuable three and D plus six, eight small four that those players are extremely valuable. The question right. is like whether he actually does that or not. And I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between even, even Hawks fans that some of them that are more high on Hunter are like, the question is like whether he actually can do what we all think that he possibly can do. If that makes sense. Yeah. If you haven't watched much of him and you just looked at his, his box score numbers and you look like the measurables, you probably think, okay, like he's, he's a starter, you know, he's, he's solid. But if you watch him game to game and you see the inconsistency and, you know, just not having a, a real area of strength uh, within his offensive skill set. Like, you just come away much lower if you've watched the past season than, than those that have it. 
he, um, he, even the metrics too, by the way, I know you're a metric yeah. guy. Like he was outside the top, like 250 or 300 in some of these catch all metrics, which is yeah. not tell you everything, but that's, uh, it's a pretty big alarm bell when you are that low after playing like a lot of minutes, like generally speaking, right. Guys who are real starters do not rank like that on these metrics. <laughs> it's uh, it was pretty like EPM Raptor, right. some of those like catch alls. They, they do not like what Hunter did last year. Yeah. Point. I think he was like minus two or something like that in EPM. And that would basically, you know, equivalent, be equivalent to like a replacement level player but one very important thing i think when evaluating hunter is often when you see players have a major injury like a meniscus tear and i know it wasn't like a full tear for hunter but he had two surgeries on it oh yeah it's, it's very common for players to have a regression year the year after like think when jaron jackson tore his meniscus uh a couple years ago uh before his breakout year this season the season prior like he was not good and there were a lot of questions about him. And then when he had another healthy offseason and he was able to get you know back into not just having to rehab, but actually practicing and getting better, like he had his best season. Um, you know, Hunter hasn't had a healthy offseason in two years. And the last time he had a healthy offseason, he came back a lot better. And one of the key areas of improvement was his handle. And then we saw this year where the handle regressed. Like if you actually think about it and you look at all the contextual points, like I, I think there is some explanation um, he wasn't able to do a lot last offseason, so it's predictable that he would be rusty at the start of the year. That's not like a huge surprise. And then he got hurt again, you know, and then that was a right wrist injury. So then he couldn't dribble the ball. So the handle improvements that he made from the year prior started to evaporate. And now he's getting stripped on drives. He's dribbling it off his foot, like really some comical turnovers. And I think some of that's related to the injury. Like, I don't think that he was as good as he showed in that 20 games um, that he had a couple years ago, but I don't think he's as bad as he was this past year. Like, I tend to agree with you that I'm cautiously optimistic that he's going to have his best season. That may not, you know, mean that he's like a top 70 player or something like that, but I could see him producing a starter level year because I think when you look at like some of these important, you know, issues surrounding how injuries have generally affected players in the following season, I think that's important to consider. I just wish the sample size of him being a, a good player was larger. You know, I'd be more <laughs> confident. Yeah. I'd be more confident that. I mean, he was shooting like elite levels from mid range over that 20 game stretch. And he is a good mid range shooter. So if he can get to his spots reliably, he can hurt you there. Um, I've also posted some clips recently too of his defense from uh, uh, the first game of the season against Luca. Oh, yeah. he, he really popped in that setting. And if you get in a playoff series, like a four or five series with Dilly in the first round, you're going against James Harden. Like Hunter is someone who could really help you. If you have a poor defensive structure, he's not going to do a lot to make you better just because uh, the style of defense, that, the style of defender that he is, is one that uh, he can really match up in a lot of different players on the ball. But he's not this elite team defender who's going to raise your defensive floor. Um, so if you have good defenders around him, and you know they've added Murray at the point of attack, they should have a healthier Capella next year. Like there is a lot of potential for his defense there. Um, so I, I think, like I said, I, I, I am cautiously optimistic. I just wish there was, you know, more encouraging data points other than a small stretch. But it's it's obviously like he, he is like the most important player on the team, I would say, like <laughs> as far as how this team is going to achieve their ceiling. You know, he's not uh, one of their top two players, but as far as like whether they can unlock the highest version of themselves, it's really going to be if Hunter pans out. Like, I, I, I don't think that's like a reach to say that. And I think that acquiring Murray in some ways takes some pressure off them because now they have a, a clear hierarchy, which I think kind of impeded them at times. Like they're a little bit too egalitarian with some of their non-trade players, whereas now they have an entrenched top two and that could benefit Hunter. Uh, but he's the biggest X factor heading into the season. I totally agree. I think I'm, that's big. Uh, whenever people, people sort of ask me what the uh, who the swing guy is on this roster, 
It is definitely Hunter. We'll come back to that uh, more in a second, but first a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is basically here at this stage with the NFL preseason already underway and college football setting off in just a few weeks. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check out all of your sports betting needs that you might have right now and always find all of the latest sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games with a ton of future-facing action on the site that includes title odds, improved football, and college football, as well as win totals, season-long props, exotics, and more. Find reviews and news of every league that includes MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, all of college sports, combat sports, esports, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, rugby, entertainment bets, and much more. And BetOnline is also the top online resource for all of the wager information that you're likely to be seeking at the stage that includes live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, and they have you covered across the board. Bet Online also has casino games, poker, and other ways to get on the action. And if you go Bet Online right now on your mobile device or your computer, you check out all of the trends and the action that's happening across the sports world today. Bet Online is where the game starts. Andrew, I want to follow up with what you said because uh, I, I totally agree. Like, I think he is a huge determining factor on this roster this season. We both just expressed that we think he'll be better than he's been so far. Um, and I think that, you know, that might lead some to believe that like if you know if we if we're saying that now you know why wouldn't the hawks lock him up now if they possibly could and i think that that's a reasonable thought um my general stance i'm not sure if you agree with me on this or not always on these rookie extensions for guys that are not max players is basically like it's got to be team friendly or i don't want to do it uh that's just my thought process that's not always what teams do by any means um i was saying with, with her last year and i thought that that deal was pretty team friendly it wasn't like a whole it wasn't like a, a complete and utter slam dunk grand slam but it was a deal that I liked that the Hawks did because it was, it was pretty clearly a discount on what he could have gotten if he had a good season. Um, obviously, with Collins, they, they did not find that deal. Collins wanted a lot of money. They didn't give him that, that money ahead of time. Could they have gotten a, maybe a little bit cheaper? Maybe, but we'll see. Um, these are not foolproof things. But um, what do you sort of make? Like, what's your philosophy on it? And also, like, what's a fair price? Because, like, people ask me that question all the time. I'm not even entirely sure because of what we just talked about, how much, how I should say, how little data there actually is. But when they're twenty million dollars apart, apparently, according to Jake, like my guess on that would be like the Hawks probably in like the four sixty four range. I was about to say that, yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. And I'm not reporting that flat out, but I'm just trying. It's more of like a, a more of an estimated thing for me. Whereas maybe Hunter's group wants four eighty four, something like that. And I think that you know that's a reasonable spot for both sides to be at. But like, what's fair? Like, it, let's just say this: What's the deal that you would give as the Hawks? Because that's that's the more interesting thing for me because obviously this, the, the player side has different incentives. Every guy is different, but on the team side, we kind of know a little bit more. What would you be comfortable with if anything? Well, for the first part, like I think I do agree with you philosophically that if it's not a no brainer, you generally don't want to extend these guys, but there's also a lot of business side to basketball. Like sometimes oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're rebuilding like Oklahoma city and you're not giving out any deals, like it, it might make sense for you to, to give Lou Dort a pretty sizable deal just to, you know, soothe over relations with agents. And he's been a very you know good team culture guy. So there are some circumstances where it can make sense, just not necessarily for on court reasons to extend guys. Uh, but I don't think that all of that applies to Hunter uh, four for 60. Like that's, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. And I think that would drive a lot of people crazy because he's not been a good NBA player, but I, it's just that, it's so hard to find that physical profile. You know, it, it, it's yeah. so hard to find that physical profile. We've seen guys like Harrison Barnes at times get deals where you think, well, man, that's just way too much. But then you look at what starting small forwards are making and it's like, okay, I mean, that's, that's basically what you end up paying, you know? Um, so for an extension, 
I think I, I probably wouldn't go above 460. Uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't even want to go that high. But I, I just, you know, I, I do think that there's some positional equity that you have to bake in there. Um, but I, I, I couldn't get up to a four for 80. It's just, it doesn't make sense for the Hawks, even with a rising cap, because that could really hurt you. You know, if he has another poor year, then that's a terrible contract. And that's yeah, the risk. No. That's, that's <laughs> that is the, the risk. Yeah. That's the <laughs> risk that you run. Like, if he has a solid year, you know, like a lower end starter, and you sign him to an extension for four for you know for four for sixty, you can still trade that. Like there are still teams that will buy the upside of him on that deal, even if he does isn't having like a slam dunk kind of season. But at four for eighty, if he disappoints, I mean you're just screwed. You know, like he, you can't you can't run that risk. So I think yeah, like you said, four for sixty is about where I'd go. For sure, and I think that I would not. I certainly would not give out four eighty at this point. Um, and to your point, like we can be. I'm, I'm, I know I'm gonna get yelled at for saying this. If they, you know, four for sixty is a deal that I would be surprised if Hunter took. But let's just say he takes that deal and it, it gets signed. Um, it would be fair to say he has not been worth $15 million in any season so far. Right. And he I can already hear Tyler Jones throwing his phone against the wall when that tweet comes out. At, at 460? Yeah, I don't, think I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think he'll love that. But no, uh, you know, look, I, I'm i not as low on Hunter as, as Tyler uh, is at times. And look, I, I know I've there's some fans that have sort of taken me to task for being too low. And I, mean, and I get it. Look, I'm, I'm trying to be a realist. I'm trying to give you the, kind of what's happened versus what is um, in theory. But I've, I've always been pretty high on Hunter. I've always liked Hunter a lot. It's one of those things where, yeah, I think 460 would be a pretty team-friendly deal. But you're right. Not even that. Like, that's not a deal where there's no downside. Like, this is not. Right. And this, that's part of the why there's. He hasn't so been interesting. good. Yeah. He has the thing. Been good. It's not like, I know you said this earlier, I'm sure people are going to get mad at you for saying the thing about Herter being better than Hunter for the first three seasons, but you're absolutely right in terms of like projectability. Um, clearly, Hunter has higher upside than Herter. Everyone knows that. He went in the top five. The, the physical profile is what it is, et cetera. But in terms of like the safety of that, I had a lot more confidence in the stability of what Herter was going to be than at the time where they paid him a year ago than I do with Hunter now. And look, that was a cheaper deal a little bit than this one. And like I said, I don't think that Hunter's going to sign four for 60. And we talk about like the, the, the player side of this as well, but yeah, at 460, 464, something like that. I wouldn't criticize that. Like as a guy who is pretty cautious with with extensions, that would be a deal that I think would be reasonable, but you're right. Like I could already see people that I know around the league being like, that's too much money for him. And I couldn't really argue with that. But there is some upside there. Like you, you sort of got into it. But if Hunter actually does make a leap this year, plays 65 games, shows it, and is like, all right, I am a starting small forward. And if you have a four for 60, it's a great deal. That's, that's not a great value. So, like, that, what, what you don't want to do, the worst case scenario on an extension always is giving yourself no room to actually beat it. Like, that's, that's the deal with like max extensions a year early on some guys that I've always kind of like hated, like the, the non-star getting the max or getting the $100, $100 million extension a year early drives me nuts because like, what's the upside of that? Um, right. Hunter but, hasn't shown enough in his sample no. size to bake in a gamble on his upside. That's really no. what it comes down to. And four and 480 would be that. And look, if you're Hunter's yeah. agent, like you're you're looking at a top five, a former top five pick with his profile. We, we already made that, made that um, rundown earlier. I get why you don't take 460. And that might not, that might seem crazy. Look, we can't put ourselves in the shoes of these professional athletes. I'm pretty risk averse. I think if I'm DeAndre Hunter and someone wants to offer me life-changing money at 460, I would probably sign it today. But I get why he wouldn't as well. Which so that's and that's 
I've been saying this for a while. I think that this is probably not going to happen. If I had to guess, this deal will probably not get done just because of the chasm be- between what he could be, what he's thought of, what he's not proven. Um, and look, he's played 139 games in three seasons. Like there's not a whole lot of sample size to go off of here. Right. And that's, that's this part is of the reason. Well. Too. Yeah, this yeah is he's got, you said that. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Deal. Yeah. So like he has to extract the maximum value for that. Well, and look, there is some, uh, if you want to be just from the team side only again, there is some downside if you don't find a deal this year, because if he does make the leap that you're hoping he makes as the team and look, Travis Schlenk is tied to DeAndre Hunter. They, they, they traded a lot to get him. Um, they've promoted him. They have played him a ton, uh, et cetera there. And they, they haven't traded him. He was basically untouchable from what I heard, not all the way, but kind of untouchable in the last year in trade talks. Um, they like him a lot, obviously. And the risk is if he does blow up in the way that they think he might, he might command four for a hundred a year from now. Like, I'm not saying that's likely. It's not inconceivable. No, you know, it's like, not. I mean, for what, especially with, with, with the cap going up and with, with I said that out, out loud just yet, but like the cat, the new, the new TV deal is going to hit in two years. Like it would not blow me away if he got offered something like that. Now, I'm not saying he's worth that now. Don't get me wrong. And he's have to, he had to have to have a heck of a season, but the archetype is what you're paying for, especially on one of these projection right. kind of deals. I do think that it's worth remembering that he's a little bit older. I, I, I know I get yelled at for pointing out sometimes, but like, look, you said it like this is age 26 through 29 on his, on his first non-rookie deal. Like he's a pretty old prospect and that does matter. But for this first deal, like I guess maybe the positive size that you're actually kind of locking in his what should be his absolute prime? Because generally speaking, this is the age, the next five years for Hunter, where you should be getting his absolute best, hopefully. So maybe that's maybe that's part of this too. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I really don't have anything else to, to add on that. It's just they just can't gamble on him at, at that kind of money. You know, he hasn't showed enough to gamble on a twenty million annual, you know, average annual value type deal um, because that could really come back to hurt you. I, but also, you know, for like a four for six, even if they go a little bit above that, it might drive some people crazy. I can understand it just because that, like you said, if he has a good year, like if he has above average efficiency, which isn't, you know, with his shot profile, like that, that is doable. He was doing oh, it yeah. in that Definitely. second season before he got hurt. He shot he, well last year from three, by the way, I mean, as much as, as, much as uh, there's some other stuff that was the, what was wrong with the profile last year, he shot 38% from three on like decent volume a season ago. Like that's the one part of his game last year that actually did show up was a three point shoot. So that, that, that really helps too. So if you have the above average efficiency and he has another good year on defense where he's one of the more respected, you know, versatile on ball defenders, as far as the type of assignments he can take on, that's a profile that teams are really going to like. And, uh, he, like you're getting his super prime years. So it wouldn't be like, you know, unthinkable for him to get overpaid. Like, I, I think that's a, a very oh, yeah. real risk. And when you look at how you know risk averse they've been as far as managing their luxury tax situation, that could have a lot of ripple effects. All of a sudden you might, you know, try to dump guys for money because, you know, well, if we pay Hunter, we're going to pay Murray soon and we're going to be deep into the tax. And how, how might that affect their decision-making down the line? Like that's a, another important angle there. And that's another argument in favor of perhaps coming to some type of compromise. I just, it's hard for me to see other, you know, both sides compromising. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I totally agree. And there, there are other angles we could t- touch on later on. Maybe I'll hit on at a mailbag or something like that about like, you know, the, one of the arguments for uh, for not trading him is that you can also trade him this season. Like, if you, if you, I'm sorry for not uh, extending him, is that you can also trade him because if you extend him, he becomes not impossible to trade, but very difficult to to trade in season. Um, counter counter to that is if you don't extend him now, 
he's in he's impossible to trade next offseason. <laughs> so like there's uh there's there's kind of on, on, on all sides there but uh that's a pretty good discussion of hunter i think we've uh at least put out there all of the angles that are uh, sort of roughly involved here and can talk about like where it all goes but i think at the end of the day it's going to be like how he how he plays in year four which is i guess part of that is uh is kind of appropriate to that lens i do want to ask you also before we get out of here um kind of what you think about the Hawks this season. Obviously, it's August 9th as we record this. I'm not going to hold you this stuff now, but um, I talked about the East a lot in the last few podcasts with Bill, and I want to know kind of your early thoughts on where the Hawks stack up in the East right now because um, I've, I'm already seeing some mixed opinions. There's some Hawks fans that are like definitely 51 team contender for the number one spot, uh, and some uh, national people that are a little bit like uh, seven seed maybe, and I'm kind of in the middle of those two things, but uh, I, I, I kind of want to know what, what you think at this point in time. It's just so so hard right now with the with the East to kind of nail things down. Like we don't know where Kevin Durant's going to be playing. If you assume a healthy Brooklyn with Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons <laughs> and Kyrie Irving, like you, yeah. you're going to pick them over the Hawks. Like a, as far as like the seeding goes, it's it's a deep conference now. Even in teams like uh, the Knicks, assuming they get Mitchell, I, I tend to think that they will. Could be scrappy. I would still pick the Hawks above them, but they could be a problem. Um, so that's that's something to look at. Um, I, I really like the starters, you know, like I already mentioned before, I think they have four top 75 players. Uh, if, if Hunter can, can provide a starting small forward caliber season, not even a high end one, just a starting small forward caliber season, the starting lineup is very good. Yeah. And that's, that's why I would lean towards being in on them is because I think there's a lot of potential there. I think their defense could be better than people think. Um, they have two bigs that they're playing, um, so they can limit shots at the rim. Uh, Capella, I, I think that he could get off to a better start than he did last year when he was kind of coming off a procedure and he started slow and he has a Congo to kind of keep him fresh. So I feel like the center play is going to be upgraded overall defensively. Um, Murray is going to make a big impact defensively. Uh, so overall, I think that, you know, outside of Trey, like they could have a good defense with their starting line. I should say even with Trey, they could have a good defense uh, with their <laughs> yeah. starting lineup. But it, it really just gets to their bench. You know, if, if I was more confident in the bench and I was more confident that, McMillan would adjust to the reality of his bench. You know, if, if he sufficiently recognized the downgrade in bench quality and adjusted accordingly by playing the starters more, by mixing in starting groups and things of that nature, I would feel more confident projecting them. But I just don't know that all of those things are going to transpire. Uh, if they look to upgrade their bench through further moves, maybe with a deadline, things like that, um, they could get better. So I just really just I don't trust the depth. And that's really why I can't pick them to to be higher. I'd probably think somewhere in the five to seven range. It's hard to say exactly, but that's probably where I'd have them. And if they can make the playoffs without the play-in, I would generally consider that a successful season. I think that there's probably still one pretty big trade away. And uh, as far as like becoming like a long-term contender, I think they got better. I'm not sure they got a lot better, but I do think that from a long-term standpoint, they did substantially improve like the outlook. You know, they, they did finally nail down another player to pair with Trey. Maybe they could have gotten a better one down the line. We don't know that, but they did gamble on a player that's very good and they paired him with Trey now. So they've set up a, a good duo there. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's hard to say with Brooklyn and some of these other teams, I think five to seven range is kind of what I'm looking at. And the bench is just really going to determine how I think the season goes. I think we're basically uh, aligned on that. Like uh, for me, the more I think about it, there's there's three teams. Uh, I, I've said four. I, th I think it really is three teams that I just cannot see the Hawks. Uh, sorry, I cannot see myself picking to pick, picking the Hawks to actually finish ahead of. Now, that's not the same as could actually happen. It certainly could happen. But I think Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia are all kind of a cut above um, right now of the Hawks. I know Miami's usually, usually in that group. I am, uh, as usual, Andrew, as you well know, a Miami skeptic. And uh, 
without PJ Tucker and with, with no power forward, I can only see that downside. I know they were number one last year, but that was a little bit of uh, I don't know. They, they weren't quite that same way. Metrically I do think and, that you know. they'll find a way to improve the team too. You know, I don't yeah, think I mean, that's, run. that's kind of the thing. Miami usually finds a way. The, <laughs> yeah. They may not get like the, the big fish that they want, but they'll, they'll find a way. And Spolster is just such a good coach. You He's very really, good. You can't yeah. really pick the Hawks above them. So there's really four teams I'd have above them. I agree with you there. Yeah. And then Toronto returns the most minutes in the league as far as continuity. Uh, well, they they, they, they also play the most minutes of their, of their guys. Too. Yeah. They all play like 40 minutes a night. Yeah, is... they, they ground them down. Like Van Vliet was just – he was running on fumes after the All-Star break. Uh, but they they returned everybody, so they have that continuity. So it's hard to really you know pick the Hawks even above them in some ways just because you, you feel more stable, more stable there. Um, but, yeah, I think probably 5-6 is where I, I tend to have them. Yeah, that's kind of where I am too. And, I, you know, Brooklyn is a wild card, obviously. You know, Toronto could get KD. That's still, I guess, possible. They're on all the lists for KD. If they get KD, then uh, they rock it up, obviously. Um, but I, I do think I do think that I, I do like the Hawks better than the Bulls and the Cavs and uh, kind of that group, the, the Knicks, right. yeah. et cetera. So, like, maybe they're in their own mini tier. I don't know. So, something like five, uh, maybe as high as four for me. Probably not, but probably somewhere in the five, six range at this point in time. I, I'm sure Hawks fans will think that that's too low, and I, I, do, I do get that. But I will tell you this right now, Hawks fans, I will have the over on the Hawks win total, which right now at Bet Online is 46. I will have the over on that, almost certainly. Oh, it's forty six now. I thought it was like forty seven and a half. It was forty seven and a half. It got bet down. How about that? It got bet down. Okay. It, got, it got bet down to forty six. Because very I was low. thinking, you know, about forty eight wins is probably yep. what I would what I would predict for them. And the thing is, they can win 48, 48 games and beat the six seed. Like that's 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 the reality of how the East oh, could be next very year. easily. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, that is, that's part of the calculus. But yeah, I was surprised they got bet, bet down a little bit. I'm I'm not sure why that would have been or what, where that would have come from, but. Yeah, forty six, and look, I, I'm not I'm not locking in now in August to my my final predictions, but I think we're kind of on the same page overall. We talked about Hunter being the X factor. I think that's the big thing. Like, if Hunter's the guy he was last year, this team is not going to be able to get to where it needs to go this year. If he's the guy that we think he can be this year, um, again, that does not mean he has to be the best player on the team uh, or even the third or fourth best player on the team. But if he's a starting little small fours, where do you put that? I totally agree with you. That's a huge factor in uh, the success this year. And um, with the lack of bench behind him to bring things full circle from earlier on the podcast, uh, that would be uh, tough if he's not a better player. But we'll see. They can make a move inside on season two. The Hawks have, as much as they paid for uh, Murray, they kind of intentionally did not trade their pick for this year. So they could still move some stuff uh, at the deadline if they wanted to kind of even go more all in if they want to. We'll yeah. See. And you look at some of these teams like Utah, where they just have all these good rotation players. And it's like, I mean, that's, you would just think that that's going to get picked apart. Maybe the Hawks could get in there. So that's, there's, I know you want Bogdanovich. I know you want Bogdanovich. I know you want him. I, already see it. <laughs> I, I think you got to have multiple, you know, guys <laughs> with the same last name. I just think it's a very key uh, chemistry. The, ho- the holidays and the Bogdanoviches all in one roster would be uh, very interesting. Although Drew, I guess Drew's, Drew's pretty much unavailable, I'd imagine, at this point. But um, no, that's. You know, at some point, uh, maybe you and I will talk fake trades again in the near future on this podcast, even before the season starts. But um, I will probably invite you again in, uh, once camp is ramped up. But I do appreciate you giving me like a full hour of time here in August. I do uh, thank you for that. Uh, I know you're not a huge uh, content producer, but your tweets are fantastic. And your uh, your team building philosophy stuff is very, very smart. And that's why I have you on, generally speaking. But where can people find your stuff? They want to find more from you, Andrew. I think he nailed it. You can find me on Twitter, uh, A-N-D-L-A-N-K-E-L-L. Appreciate interacting with people on there. It's a lot of fun. You're the man. I appreciate all the time. Uh, follow Andrew on the Twitter machine. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roll and follow the show at Locked on Hawks. And please subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about the show. And we'll see you all next time.